Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course Podcast from the University of Minnesota. This episode is adapted from a webinar that aired on September 26, 2017. The podcast discusses employee engagement in the context of the University of Minnesota. For more information and resources, visit supervising.umn.edu and explore Module 5 on employee engagement. So I want to welcome you to the Supervisory Development Course Employee Engagement Webinar. And I'm Amanda Wolford, a consultant from Leadership and Talent Development in the Office of Human Resources. And I'm joined by Brandon Sullivan, the Senior Director of Leadership and Talent Development. So we're going to talk about employee engagement and what exactly is it. So if you went online and Googled employee engagement, you'll get about 100 different definitions from consulting firms with their own models, terms, and lingo. And some of it is just a bunch of babble. But some of it is based on research and science. So I just wanted to spend some time letting you know that there's a lot of social science research behind the way that we approach employee engagement at the university. Decades of research on psychology, sociology, organizational behavior, and other fields have consistently found that across industries and organizations, that job attitudes, which are how you think, feel, and behave with respect to your work, has a big impact on some of the outcomes that we really care about here at the university. And outcomes like turnover, retention, productivity, performance, and even the extent that you're willing to help out a colleague when they need help or going above and beyond. And these are all outcomes of how we feel or our attitudes towards our jobs. We also know that supervision and leadership can shape those job attitudes, and they're a big component of that. If we feel that our supervisor empowers us and is supportive and listens, then we're likely to have a more positive attitude about our work. We're more likely to work harder and persist when times get tough and more willing to help out a colleague. So without going into the depths of the data, we want you to know that we did base our approach to employee engagement on this social science research. And by basing it in the research, it should work. And that's the bottom line. And here at the university, our definition of employee engagement is the extent to which individuals devote time, energy, and effort at work with the highest levels of engagement resulting from facing meaningful challenges at work while also having the support, resources, and confidence needed to address those challenges. Engagement is the level of employee energy and motivation for their work, which can be supported or hindered by workplace environment and experience. So that's why when talking about employee engagement, we look at two key metrics. So the first metric is commitment and dedication. So that's the commitment, the motivation, and pride for the work and the organization and effectiveness of the work environment is the second metric. And those are conditions that allow individuals to be effective in their jobs and remove barriers to productivity. So why is engagement important? You may have heard a statistic that only 33% of U.S. employees are engaged, which means 67% aren't. But the good news is, is that our data here at the U of M suggests it's quite the opposite. We're much more engaged at 70%. And we can connect our level of engagement to the level of commitment that faculty and staff have to our mission. So we're more engaged than most, but we can always improve. So you might be thinking, well, that's great, but I'm not seeing this level of engagement in my department or unit. So the good news is, is that you can improve employee engagement through the following conditions. There's 10 of them. 
They're also known as drivers. And these can help create a higher level of engagement and productivity. And Brandon will go into depth of these drivers in just a little bit. But first, you would want to find out how engaged your employees may or may not be. And to do that, you can think in terms of this engagement profile, which consists of four quadrants that describe how engaged employees are with regard to the engagement metrics of effective environment and commitment and dedication. So in the top right or the green box are engaged employees, and this is the ideal. The frustrated employees would be in the lower right or orange box. The disengaged are the lower left or the red box, and the detached are the top left blue box. We're going to look at some examples to show you what each of these looks like. So let's say that you have these four employees on your team. We've got Sarah, who's totally engaged, she's very energetic, and she's always willing to go above and beyond to help her colleagues. And then Keij, who is frustrated, he is committed to efficiency, and he developed a new data collection tool, but he doesn't have the support he needs, and his supervisor keeps taking credit for his work. So these barriers are very frustrating to Keij. And then we have Bob, and he's disengaged. He does the bare minimum, and he's just here for the paycheck. So not only is his commitment and dedication low, but by not having the support or resources he needs for his work, he often cuts corners. And then finally, Alex, he's detached. He has all the support he needs, but he thinks that meets expectations is good enough. And he recently ran a project management meeting that confused everyone. And the problem stemmed from him trying to push for his ideas without seeking input or discussion first. So as a supervisor, where do you even start in addressing the low engagement within this team? And before I tell you, I want to know what you think. So we have a poll for you to submit your thoughts. So a clue is, is you can usually address someone's environment right away. So which of the following employees could you do that for? So your choices are engaged Sarah, who's totally engaged, or would you start with frustrated Keij, who's high on commitment and dedication, but low on effective work environment? Would you start with disengaged Bob, who's low on both? or a detached Alex, who's high on effective environment, but low on commitment and dedication. Great. So the majority of you said D, frustrated keys. You would start with him. And then not even a close second would be detached Alex. So that's perfect. You guys are on the right track. So you would definitely want to start with keys, the frustrated employee. And so many of you probably were already thinking this. So when you have frustrated employees, they are still committed and motivated, and they're often high potential employees, and they just need help removing the barriers that are leading to their frustrations. And if these barriers aren't removed, then these type of employees typically do one of two things. They'll find innovative ways around environmental barriers to become engaged. They may get tired of these challenging environmental barriers and leave the organization or they would lower their expectations and become disengaged like Bob. So as a supervisor, focusing on what you can do to support the work of your employees and help remove barriers will present the greatest opportunity for improving employee engagement. So how do you find out where everyone's at and how do you find out where your areas of opportunity are? So you wanna start by thinking of employee engagement as an ongoing cycle. 
that consists of three stages, input, discussion, and action. So input is about getting feedback through regular check-ins, meetings, or even the employee engagement survey. Discussion is just that, discussing the input, clarifying and prioritizing the issues. And then action, while obvious, is taking action on feedback. And you can do all of these things if there's a survey or not. One very important thing to keep in mind is if you ask for input, whether using the employee engagement survey or asking for informal feedback at a meeting, those are just mechanisms for input. They don't actually create positive change. So make sure to follow through and involve leaders, faculty, and staff in discussing the input. Disengagement begins when people who take time to provide feedback or respond to a survey don't hear back from their leaders. So a few small, simple actions can have a very large impact. So we're going to pause there and see if you have any questions about employee engagement or that four box that I talked about, the engaged, frustrated, disengaged, or detached. Here come a few. Thank you. So one question is, how did you identify the employees that were frustrated or disengaged? So we are actually going to get into that a little bit more with talking about input. So that's number one, how you can figure out if employees were frustrated or disengaged. So actually, Brandon's going to, to launch into that. So I'll turn it over to him, and then hopefully that'll help answer that question more too. Yeah, and that's a very good question. And so hopefully we'll get to that as we go through this, but otherwise we can talk more about that because that is an important distinction. So the first step in employee engagement is input. And this involves gathering perspectives from faculty and staff on the following questions. How are we doing when it comes to creating the conditions that foster employee engagement? What are we doing well? And where do we need to do better? The end goal is to keep doing what is working for you and take action to improve on things that are getting in the way of success or holding your team or department back from even greater success than you enjoy today. Gathering input is your opportunity to get everyone's perspective. When things are going well, it's easy to become complacent and assume that things will continue to go well without requiring much attention. However, being aware of what is going well and where you need to do better is the key to ensuring that your team or department will be resilient during times of change and when faced with big challenges, both of which will happen at some point. Gathering input is the first step in this process. There are about a million things you could ask for input about, and if you simply ask people to talk about their concerns or share their problems, you could end up with a very long list. So what input do you gather? Well, the good news is that there are 10 specific conditions that support a high level of employee engagement. So you really just need to focus on these. When these 10 conditions are present, people can get their work done effectively. They feel supported by their colleagues and leaders, and the most talented employees will be less tempted to take job opportunities elsewhere. So let's run through these 10 conditions. First, is there understanding and personal connection to the organization's strategy and goals? This means your department, college, or unit has a plan for addressing important challenges and opportunities, and everyone knows what this plan is and what success will look like. This may be a formal strategic plan, a set of goals and objectives, a work plan, or something else. The key is that this plan is communicated and is understood by everyone. And this also means that everyone knows what they personally can do to contribute to success. Goal setting is one way to accomplish this. So on this and the following nine slides, you'll see a reference to tools available on the Supervisory Development course website to help you. For example, Module 2 has tools on setting goals, and Module 4 has tools on building a team. 
These tools can help you ensure that there is understanding and personal connection to the organization's strategy and goals. Also, each slide will show you the name of the corresponding scale on the university's engagement survey. For example, this one is called Clear and Promising Direction. Next, is there support and encouragement for setting and meeting high standards for the work you do? This means everyone demonstrates a commitment to doing quality work, such as high-impact research and scholarship, or providing strong support for undergraduate, graduate, and professional students. Think about what excellence and quality looks like for your work. This is what members of your team or department should expect of them. Is communication open enough that it builds confidence in leaders? This means people feel trust in their college, campus, or unit leadership team, as well as their direct supervisor. This also means that supervisors share information in a direct and timely way. Do individuals have support for their professional and career development? This means everyone has opportunities to learn and grow and to receive coaching and mentoring from supervisors and others to help them succeed. It also means that there are opportunities for talented, high-performing employees to achieve long-term career objectives here at the university. Are interactions respectful and are people's contributions recognized consistently? This means supervisors recognize strong performance. This means colleagues demonstrate respect for one another, especially when there is disagreement or conflict. This also means that supervisors and others step in when someone shows a lack of respect and make it clear that this is not okay. Finally, this also means departments, colleges, and units show a clear and strong commitment to diversity and inclusion. Do employees have the autonomy to accomplish work and empowerment to make decisions? This means people have enough authority to do their jobs without being micromanaged and know that their supervisor will support decisions they need to make to get the work done. It also means that everyone is encouraged to find better ways of doing their work. Are roles, responsibilities, and performance expectations clear? This means that everyone understands what success looks like in their work. This also means that supervisors provide clear and regular feedback that supports development and performance. Is there cooperation and sharing of ideas within and across the organization? This means identifying projects and work that are best done by a team and then building an effective team to get the work done. This also means being intentional about sharing information and collaborating on things such as interdisciplinary research, as well as college-wide or university-wide projects. Do people have what they need to do their jobs well? This means everyone has the skills, training, information, and resources they need to succeed. If any of these pieces are missing, productivity will suffer, even if people are highly motivated and committed to the work. And finally, how is the work distributed? Is it in line with goals and priorities? This means ensuring an equitable distribution of workload and finding ways to improve the way work is done. This may include new technologies or creative solutions, but the goal is to remove barriers to efficiency so that everyone can focus their time and energy on the most important work. So now that you know the 10 conditions that support a high level of employee engagement, these are the areas where you want to gather input. Gathering input can be as simple as having informal check-in conversations with the members of your team or department. In these conversations, ask each person for their thoughts on one or more of the 10 conditions we just reviewed. You can also ask for input in regularly scheduled faculty and staff meetings. In some cases, it makes sense to ask someone from outside your team or department to facilitate a discussion or gather input, say an external consultant or a human resources professional. Whichever approach you take, remember that the purpose of gathering input 
is to understand how your team or department is doing when it comes to creating the 10 conditions that foster employee engagement. What is going well and where could you improve? Amanda and I will now demonstrate how a simple check-in conversation might go. In this case, Amanda is my supervisor and she's gathering input about whether strong performance is being adequately recognized in ways that are meaningful to the team. Hi, Brandon. How are you? Hi, Amanda. I'm doing well. Now that we've got that big project done, I'm working on checking in with everyone to see if there are any last details we need to clean up. But it looks like things are going well. You guys rocked that project. I am so proud of you. Weren't you so excited that the director made that huge announcement in front of the entire college? Well, I I do appreciate that big announcement from the director. It, It would have been a little more meaningful, though, to get a personal thank you. Uh, I also like seeing how our work had an impact and really made a difference. Oh, wow. I thought you liked that kind of public recognition. No, you know, I I really don't. Uh, I'm kind of introverted. Plus, it it felt like not everyone who was recognized was as involved as I was. So I felt a little overshadowed. Oh, you're so right about that. And I'm, I'm sorry I didn't recognize this earlier. So in the future, I will make sure that you get the recognition you prefer. So it's more meaningful. All right. So gathering input can be as simple as a conversation like this. If Amanda talks with each member of her team about recognition, she'll get a good sense of whether this is an area in need of improvement. Maybe Amanda will learn that she's been making incorrect assumptions that her employees want public recognition, when in fact, they may want a personal thank you instead. And by the way, recognizing people for their accomplishments is a very important part of employee engagement. Another way we gather input here at the university is through the Employee Engagement Survey. Supervisors will receive survey results if there are at least five faculty or five staff responses. If you get survey results, this will provide you with useful input on each of the 10 conditions that create engagement. If you don't get a report for your immediate team or department, ask for and review results for your college, campus, or unit. Share this information with your team or department. So for example, you might bring the college-level results to a department meeting and say, We only had four responses, so we didn't get a report for our department. But here are the results for our college. You can see scores were high for respect and recognition, but lower for support and resources. A lot of people in the college feel they don't have the information they need to do your jobs well. Do you think it's similar for us or different, and why? This will open the door to a conversation about your department using the college data as a starting point. If you don't have a survey report, or if you'd like to use the survey results as a starting point, You can simply ask informal questions or facilitate a conversation using the engagement driver questions provided on the Supervisory Development course website. Amanda and I demonstrated one simple approach to a one-on-one conversation. Here's another method that can work for many groups. First, hand out the list of engagement drivers, which you can find on the course website in the Employee Engagement Discussion Questions Quick Guide. Then, ask team members to spend five minutes identifying which three are the strongest and which three are in most need of attention. Have team members write down their rationale for each one. Next, have each person take turns sharing their thoughts while the rest of the group listens. Give each person five minutes or so. And then finally, once everyone has spoken, open up a full team discussion. As the supervisor, focus on listening and understanding others' perspectives, whether you agree with them or not. There will be time later to evaluate the input. As you gather input, Be sure to focus on development. A common mistake is to see the input as an evaluation. This isn't a grade. When input is seen as an evaluation, people get defensive and resist change. So you might say something like, 
I want to know what you think so we can improve. Please be direct about what is going well and what we need to do better. The more we can talk about those things, the more we'll learn and the better we'll be as a team. As a supervisor, showing that you are open to honest and direct feedback will set the tone. Another common mistake is not to share input or to delay sharing it. This can be tempting if you are afraid that sharing the information will create conflict or give the impression that something is not going well. However, not communicating openly and straightforwardly is a great way to ensure that rumors will start spreading. People will wonder, why hasn't the information been shared? Is it that bad? Without information, it's human nature to start guessing and making assumptions, and our imaginations often run wild. Instead, just share the information so you can move on to discussing what it means and what to do about it. For example, if you get input that people have doubts about department goals and priorities, you may feel frustrated thinking, we just spent three months updating our strategic plan. Everyone was included and I thought everyone was feeling good about it. Now they tell me they have all these questions and doubts. What the heck? That's a common experience for supervisors. The best thing to do is to share what you've heard. In this example, you might simply say, I've heard that many of you have questions about our department's strategy and goals. We just completed a process of updating them, which many of you participated in. I'd like to better understand what your questions are and how we can work together to address them. If you have tried open conversations about the feedback, but it does not help, or you feel defensive and cannot put those feelings aside for a conversation, or if you think employees may not feel comfortable sharing feedback, it may be helpful to have your local human resources team or an outside third party, such as an external consultant, facilitate this conversation. All right, so we're going to pause now and uh, take a couple of questions. There was a question about how do you make sure that engaged employees don't fall between the cracks? So uh, Brandon and I did a, we did a demo of a conversation about recognition. And so I think that's a, a really important thing to find out from your employees who are really engaged is just checking in with them and making sure that they are feeling appreciated and they know how much you are appreciating their work. Some other questions, we had a couple of them that asked about can the detached be saved or should they be counseled out or do you think an employee is ever beyond help? So I'm looking at Brandon. <laughs> yeah, that's a question that comes up a lot. And, you know, anyone who's supervised people, you've probably had this question yourself about uh, an employee. There's no one answer to that question. But I would say if someone is in the detached category um, or, or the disengaged category, the issue is that there's not a high level of commitment and dedication to the work and to the organization. And sometimes that's about fit. And so that could be something to explore with the person. Is this just a bad fit? It's not work that they like. It's not work that's interesting. The mission of their unit is not something that they really buy into or are that inspired by. And if that's the case, then, then maybe they're not in the right role. Um, other times, uh, it's because there's not an understanding of how they can contribute to a broader purpose that would be meaningful for them. Um, and so oftentimes where I would start with a detached or disengaged employee is looking at that. Is there a way to get them bought into and invested in what we're trying to accomplish together? And you'll probably figure out fairly quickly as you start doing that, whether you're going to be able to make that connection with them or not. Uh, so that would be a good starting point. Thank you, Brandon. So we're going to continue on to make sure that we have enough time to get through all of our content. Well, now we're doing a poll. We're doing a poll. Yeah. That's all right. right. Um, so the next, uh, next poll, the question is, 
what is the first thing you should do once you get input? So say you've had some discussions with uh, your team or you've gotten a survey report. What's the first thing you should do? A, consider the context of when the input was gathered and identify what influenced the responses. B, determine which issues need to be addressed to advance your team or department's goals and priorities. C, seeking a deeper understanding of the specific underlying issues. D, recognize and celebrate strengths. So go ahead and uh, pick your favorite. All right. So seeking a deeper understanding of the specific issues and determine which issues need to be addressed to advance your team or department's goals and priorities. Got the most votes between the two. About half of you said that. Those are wonderful things that you absolutely would want to do with the input. Um, the, the correct answer would be D. And um, truth be told, all of them are good things to do. But it's really important not to forget to recognize and celebrate strengths and accomplishments. Uh, that's something that when we get particularly engagement survey data, we tend to jump to, okay, where are the low scores? What are the issues we need to fix and address? Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the point of engagement is to really help us with, you know, improvement and getting better and learning. But we want to make sure that we recognize and celebrate strengths. So that's, that's kind of the absolute first thing that, that you should do when you get, get input. All right. So let's uh, move on to talk about the next step uh, in the process, which is discussion. And the goal of discussion is to answer the following questions. First, which issues are the most important to address, given your goals and priorities? Second, which issues will get in your way if you don't address them? And finally, which issues are not a high priority, even if they could use improvement? Creating strong engagement does not require that you address every single issue. In fact, focusing on one to three issues usually works best. Before we dive into the discussion phase, keep in mind, in practice, the input and discussion phases might not be distinct, especially if formal engagement survey data is unavailable. In those cases, input and discussion may happen at the same time, and that's just fine. For example, in a discussion with your department, you may learn that most people would benefit from more regular feedback about their performance. This is input. You then go on to discuss how important feedback will be as your department adjusts to new ways of getting work done. This would be discussion because you're talking about how feedback fits in with the department's priorities. So don't worry too much about keeping input and discussion separate. Effective discussion involves making sense of the input by placing it within the context of your team or department, focusing on the issues that will be most important for your goals and priorities, and gaining a deeper understanding of those issues. So begin with input, which may include survey reports, notes of one-on-one -on -one or group conversations, or just informal feedback that you've received. Then consider organizational changes over the last year, as well as what events were occurring when the input was gathered. For example, if your college has a new leader, you would expect input gathered through the engagement survey or informal conversations will show that people have unanswered questions about how this will affect them. It's human nature to be a little worried when things change. In this situation, you wouldn't discount the input, but rather treat it as an accurate reflection of how people are feeling at this particular point in time. Inviting your employees to discuss the context for their input can help clarify and create deeper understanding of the issues and how they might be addressed. Another common example of context is when input is gathered when you are in the middle of making an improvement. For example, say you've been working on a plan to create more development opportunities in your department. If you get input that development opportunities needs improvement, it would be natural to feel frustrated and say something like, I know I'm working on it, 
don't discount the feedback. In this example, the work is not yet done, and the fact that you are trying to do something about it may even be raising expectations and drawing attention to the need for improvement. In the long run, this is a good thing, and the department will appreciate your efforts once the work is done. In the short term, people may continue to give feedback that improvement is needed. So be patient and stay focused. Don't discount input, even if you feel it is unfair or you're already addressing the issues. Take it for what it is. Input from the people on your team or in your department about how they're feeling and what they're thinking at a particular point in time. Once you've considered the context for the input, think about what needs to be accomplished over the next year or two in order for your team or department to be successful. Consider the input about engagement and determine which issues need to be addressed to achieve your goals and priorities. For example, if your department needs to be more productive to adjust to a growing workload, you may prioritize input about ways in which work is inefficient and workload is not distributed in an effective way. Or, if your department needs to work more closely with other departments to improve the student experience in your college, you may prioritize input about difficulties with cooperation and sharing of ideas between your department and these other departments. The key is to think about what you need to accomplish and how the input about engagement can help you succeed. Next, if the input about a specific issue is confusing or you can think of a few different ways to interpret it, take the time to seek a deeper understanding. For example, say you get input that people feel like workload is not equitably distributed within your department. You may be surprised to hear this because you know everyone is working hard and has a full plate of work. In this case, you may be confused about this input and unsure where it's coming from. When something like this happens, it is often helpful to start by gathering your own thoughts. To help you, each of the engagement drivers has a list of self-reflection questions. For example, say you receive feedback that people in your department feel uninformed and are often surprised to hear about important decisions after they've been made. You might ask yourself some questions to reflect on this. Do employees hear rumors before there is an opportunity to communicate important information directly to them? Do I avoid communicating certain types of information? How is bad news shared with employees? How does my personal style affect the way my communications are received? As you ask yourself these questions, you may realize something. For example, maybe you really hate giving bad news, so you've been waiting too long to share it with others and you haven't been as direct as you could be, which has confused the people in your department. Once you've thought about the input, ask your team for more information. To help you, each of the engagement drivers has a list of discussion questions that you can ask your team or department to clarify the issues. Make sure to ask these questions and give everyone time to reflect. These questions can be used as part of meetings or one-on-one -on -one conversations. In the example of receiving feedback about a need for more communication, you might ask the people in your department questions like, how do you receive information you need to perform well? What could I, as your supervisor, stop doing, start doing, or continue doing that would aid in building a trusting relationship? Through these questions, you may learn that people get more of their information from rumors that go around the department rather than from what they hear directly from you, their supervisor. This insight may provide a deeper understanding of the issues and help you figure out how to make improvements. When facilitating a discussion, it's important to avoid problem solving, but instead to focus on listening and understanding what's causing the issues. For example, if you receive feedback that people want more communication from you, it may be tempting to immediately jump to solutions. Maybe you'll start sending out a weekly email update. Maybe you'll hold more frequent meetings. 
Maybe you'll have more individual conversations. But before you do something like this, pause and take the time to ask questions to be sure you understand the actual issues. Maybe people feel they get enough information from you that you don't like sharing bad news, so you say things that come across as vague and unclear. More communication won't address this. The best solution would be changing your style and becoming more direct with difficult information. Leaders can facilitate a positive feedback discussion by clearly stating that the focus is on listening and understanding what others think, and that you're not interested in who answered positively or negatively. It is a risk for people to speak out and share their thoughts and experiences openly. If you respond by listening respectfully, the discussion will be far more productive. The quick guides to establishing norms and expectations and building trust have some tools to help you do this. And finally, when having a group discussion, be sure to focus on the main input themes to avoid overwhelming people with too much information. As you lead the session, summarize your understanding of the feedback, highlight priority issues, and describe next steps. All right, so we're going to pause there again and take a question or two. So a simple question that people are asking is a copy of the slides. And so typically we don't give out a copy of the slides because we want you to go to the supervising.umn.edu website where the actual course is. And everything that's in this webinar is on the site and it's within the quick guides within all the modules that are available. So we would invite you to look for the information there. However, this webinar is recorded, so you can always watch it over again too. So some other questions that have come in, we'll take a, one or two so that we are mindful of time. I, I see, see one here that's a really good one. It's how do you recognize some staff while avoiding having some people feel left out or ignored? And you know, it's interesting because recognition is something that a lot of a lot of supervisors and leaders at all levels struggle with. Um, and in, in my experience, it's often that personal thank you, um, whether it's email, whether it's uh, in person or, or in a group setting, uh, that really means the most to a lot of people. There are some people who like awards and they like you know, public recognition, but oftentimes it's knowing that your supervisor knows what you did, knows how you contributed and appreciates your work. That's the most important. And you know, presumably, most, if not everybody who reports to you is contributing in some way uh, that you can recognize. And so, you know, oftentimes it's what is that that you can recognize? So if you're making a big deal, for example, out of someone who led an important project, that's a good thing because you want to recognize their, their work. You know, if other people are feeling left out, you know, then you really want to make sure you're recognizing the contributions they're making, even if they're smaller. And it can be informal. It can be in just conversations and in an email. It does not have to be, be a big deal for most, most people. I think we'll keep going here, but we'll get back to some of these questions in just a moment. So we have another poll for you to answer. Okay. So uh, this is a, a true or false question. So true or false. Employee engagement is not more work. Okay. Oh, all right. So we've got a split here. Kind of e evenly split between true and false. But the most common uh, answer was, was false, that it's not more work, implying that it is more work. The, the, true, the correct answer is true, but let me just acknowledge that a lot of times doing employee engagement work does feel like more work. When people say, gosh, you know, I don't have time and energy to spin up this additional work and we don't have people who can work on this, uh, usually the first question I ask is, well, how is this connected to your day-to-day -day work and how is this connected to your goals and your priorities? And oftentimes the reason it feels like more work is because it's not connected to those things. Because it would be sort of like asking, is your day-to-day -day work more or less work? 
And for most people, your workload is probably going up. So, you know, that's fair. The, the key here is really if engagement is connected to the work that you're doing and is part of getting that work done, it shouldn't feel like ex, an extra burden. It actually should feel like it's helping you be successful. So that was a, maybe a little bit of a trick question there, but we wanted to, to talk about that a little bit. So now we're going to um, move on and Amanda's going to talk about action. Thank you, Brandon. And thanks everyone for answering that poll. So taking action is actually not more work because it's the work that already needs to get done, as just mentioned. And action will be most effective if you answer the following questions. So what specific concrete steps are we going to take to improve? And who's going to do the work and what resources are needed? And then how do we know if we're successful? So the first thing you want to do is focus on one to three areas that can be executed well. So it's very easy to get overwhelmed and not know where to start. But if you focus on things that are within your control and you spend time on those areas, you'll be able to have the most impact. And involve faculty and staff in solutions where it's appropriate. What do they think? Faculty and staff can help you understand the context for the input as well as provide appropriate solutions. And then be specific and clear on an action plan and make sure, as Brandon talked about, that it's linked to your business objectives and it's manageable in the number of priorities, no more than three. And it's a plan that's clear about who will do the work. So once you start taking action, make sure that you're providing regular updates on the progress. Faculty and staff may not realize that the actions were based on their formal feed, informal feedback or survey data. So definitely let them know. So we have a few examples of actions that have come directly from our own university community. So action can be as simple as leaders wandering through the office and just dropping in and having a conversation about what did you do this weekend? And with that, you're creating an open dialogue about things that are not stressful and not challenging, and it will help build a culture of camaraderie and investment in each other. Or have ongoing conversations between supervisors and employees not only about performance, but also about development and connecting those. And we talked a lot about this in module two in the performance management. Make sure to have conversations in a way that's supportive and that happen over time so that it's not the annual discussion that everybody dreads with the performance review. Or as simple as giving someone a handwritten thank you note for a job well done, not only to say great job, but also how can I help you keep this up? And then making engagement and leadership part of the culture and not so much as a training opportunity where someone goes and does something or takes a class. So those are, are real life examples of action that's been going on here at the University of Minnesota. So don't forget the engagement drivers. You can't go wrong if you focus on creating these 10 conditions for employee engagement. And we have many other resources to help you improve employee engagement through action at supervising.umn.edu. You'll find the quick guides that you can download. We have videos and we have quizzes so that you can learn more about employee engagement. And onboarding is a very big part of your engagement strategy. So you'll want to get off on the right foot. So we are ready to answer your questions. Brandon, have you seen anything come through? Yeah, we just have a couple of minutes here, but there are a couple that came through uh, that I wanted to address quickly. One question, this is a good one. Once the process is launched, how long does it typically take to address the issue from initial conversation to resolution? You know, that varies a lot, but in general, it takes longer than you'd think. 
Um, what we generally see is that once a team uh, or department decides to take on an issue, it can take a year to two years uh, if it's an issue that has to do with, you know, kind of the culture on the team or the department, or if it's something that requires working together differently. Um, so one of the important things is to expect it, it may take some time to make improvements and to see those results. There's another comment here that I really appreciated. Uh, I think it would be more accurate to say employee engagement requires more work in the short run, but there is a long-term payoff. In the long run, it should result in less work. And I would agree with that 110%. And and that's why you really want to connect engagement to the results you're trying to achieve and and to helping your team uh, be successful. And then maybe the last question here, uh, maybe we could do two quick ones, um, is how can an employee deal with a supervisor that does not care about employee engagement? That one, you have an opportunity with the engagement survey process coming up uh, to, to have a voice. So I would say participate in the survey. And then when the results come back, the expectation is that all supervisors will share results if they got a report. And if they don't get a report, that they would have a conversation about the results for their college campus or unit. And so if you're not seeing that happen, start asking questions about that. Uh, we would encourage people to, to do that. So that's an opportunity. All right. I think that's, that's all the time that we have for today. Again, thank you so much for your participation and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore the employee engagement resources on the supervising.umn.edu site. There, you'll find videos, guides, and more to help you gather input, foster discussions, and take action on engagement. The Supervisory Development Course podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions or would like to reach out, please email us at ltd at umn.edu.